Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in, and I'd like to welcome you to a special episode of the podcast here at North Coast Calvary Chapel. I'm Joseph Carlson, and I serve here as Director of Production, Communications, and Young Adults. In case you missed it, live or online, this past weekend we announced that Ryan Pfeiffer will officially be joining our staff at the start of the year as the next-gen pastor, or something roughly equivalent to that. I was able to sit down for an hour-long unscripted conversation with Ryan that covered a wide array of topics ranging from his spiritual biography and encounters with God to his excitement for the millennial generation's spiritual formation and the love he has for his wife Stacy and their three kids. We've brought you some of the best parts of this conversation and hope that you enjoy getting to hear from Ryan a bit more as he gears up to join us full-time come January. If you could share briefly your coming to faith, you know, um, or even the background of your early childhood that like preceded that, because I know that was a, a decision that you made later on uh, in life. But you kind of seem, in some ways, to be a little bit of uh, an eclectic spiritual person. The the that's a good like, way to put it. Yeah. So but, just talk to me a little bit about that. You know, where do you come from, and uh, how would you let's put it this way? In an era where labels and everybody gets to self-identify, you know. Um, how would you describe yourself, you know, your kind of religious or spiritual makeup? Um, a bit of a, I think, a, a little bit of a spiritual barbarian. Mm. That's the term I use. Yeah. Because when I became a Christian, it was late in high school and my parents were really, I think, really threatened by the whole idea of me exploring Christianity and taking it really seriously. I was raised Catholic, but it was mm. more of a cultural Catholicism. Right. So I got, I did the whole thing. First communion, I was baptized, first communion, confirmation. But it, it was, certainly was not something my dad believed in or practiced. Mm. And it was something my mom believed in, but it wasn't something that she carried with her strong enough to, so that it influenced us in a genuine, authentic, okay. organic way. She, she carried it and it meant something to her, but our household wasn't able to create an atmosphere of faith at all. Mm. And again, probably because my parents didn't share their faith, a common faith. And so when I was in high school and a good friend of mine started to share Jesus with me. And over that year, it made me really thirsty and curious spiritually. Mm. And eventually I became a, a Christian and I was listening to this cheesy Christian song one night. They would put me to sleep and, and I kind of have a bit of insomnia. Mm. So it was this Terry Clark song. <laughs> God, you're so good to me. Simple song, this guy on the piano, just singing about God's goodness. And I don't know what happened. I just started to feel God's presence. And I just, this thought, I, I literally felt like I just saw my whole life flash before my eyes. And, and as these scenes flashed, I could see this figure in the background of every scene. Mm. And I knew who it was. It's like a visual thing. Right. I just was overwhelmed with this emotion. I was just surprised by it. I got on my knees. I just started weeping. And I was just flooded with the love of God. It was so, it was so powerful. And there was a moment when I just felt like Jesus himself walked in the room. You know, it's just these intuitive type experiences. It's hard to explain how you know that. I just mm -hmm. did. It was... Whatever I was experiencing was building an intensity and then it just got so sharp, so strong. And I knew he was in the room. 
and I started talking to him and I was just in awe of God's love. And I said, God, if this is what it's like to know you, I want to follow you for the rest of my life. That really, I could honestly say set the tone for the rest of my life in the way I've related to mm. Jesus and pursued him and experienced him pursuing me. So that later, um, when I had my close friends who had all become Christian around the same time, we were reading the Bible and we came across Corinthians 13 and the spiritual gifts. And we were like, okay, is this stuff real? Like yeah. 13 and 14. And one of my friends goes, absolutely. This stuff is real. And if it's in the Bible, it's real. And we were just that kind of raw, you know, we didn't know what was right or wrong. We didn't have denominational creeds mm-hmm. and we just, if it's in the Bible, we just kind of went for it. And we just that night started praying for those gifts. And that night I received the gift of tongues. And it was to me an experience. It was an experience. It was a spiritual experience between me and Jesus, but it was also something shared between me and my close friends. So it was a communal experience Absolutely. and it wasn't weird. It was, it was awesome. It was exciting. And it felt perfectly in line with everything else I was experiencing about God. God was shocking and surprising me. Hmm around every corner and to be shocked and awed by God was normal. And it, I had no idea that this would be, you know, I had no one to tell me that, Hey, that's weird. The gifts have ended and they don't exist anymore or be careful. Cause this could go wrong. I didn't have right. anyone to tell me that because my parents were really uncomfortable with this, with me just become taking the Bible seriously at all. Mm. Like it really freaked them out. They, it made them so uncomfortable that they just, kind of withdrew from having any involvement in my spiritual life at that point. Mm. And so I didn't have any adult, anyone speaking into my spiritual life directly. So I had to listen to K-Wave and then just go where the Bible went. I would just, I was reading the Bible with, in some senses, not a lot of filter mm-hmm. from church per se. And so then this sort of charismatic stream started to open up to me, but not because I was going to a charismatic church or I had a bunch of friends who were charismatic. It was just because right. I was reading this stuff in the Bible and miracles and healings. And I was like, wow, this stuff is real. And, um, but then when I got into college, I, uh, right at the t- tail end of college, I went through a really intense depression and that depression forced me to start looking in, 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 to my soul. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how to do that. And I didn't have the tools to do that. And that's what pressed me back on my Catholic upbringing. I started reading Catholic spirituality, like Henry Nouwen. Yeah. Different writers, even like the mystics, like Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross, these people that had these profound words about the inner life. And I needed to read stuff that mm-hmm. could give me some sense of the inner life, some direction. And so I, I was reintroduced to Catholicism in a whole totally new way, in a way that was speaking to my soul and silence and solitude, spiritual disciplines and the inner life became really important to me. And I was just gobbling all this stuff up, just reading as much of it as I could. Yeah. Where did you find that? Did you, did you end up finding a kind of spiritual mentors or, you know, di- were you discipled by somebody? Not in those early years. Yeah. I was discipled by books. I had read voraciously. I was discipled by my peers. Right. So that's a familiar terrain for me. I just didn't have people who were older than me for quite a long time. And it wasn't really until maybe four or five years into my Christian life that I started developing a close relationship with my first pastor I'd ever had, Mark Schlomka, mm. who's now the pastor at Faith Community, which is now a Foursquare, but at the time was a Presbyterian church. Okay. and That's um, a bit of a shift from Presbyterian to Foursquare. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they kind of, it's interesting. You know, sometimes people would pray in tongues. We were Presbyterian. They would pray in tongues in the service and 
he was so calm and matter of fact about it. He would just be like, okay, everybody, this is what tongues is. And we're going to take a moment now and wait to see if there's an interpretation. Does anyone have an interpretation? He would wait and listen and discern. And, but there was nothing sensational about it. Nothing weird. Yeah. He would explain what we could expect to hear from an interpretive, you know, moment. So we can knew, know what's counterfeit, what, what was not. But it was so matter of fact, and, and it brought me back on my tongues experience that by that point had kind of grown thin, mm. but that kind of reawakened that to, for me. And that church had a, went to the alpha course right, right, and had a whole weekend devoted to the Holy Spirit, talking about tongues and the role of the Holy Spirit and the gifts, but also the fruit of the Spirit, the character of the Spirit. So, um, but our church was not really charismatic in the way that people might expect or mm-hmm. caricature a charismatic church to be. So I'm reading Catholic stuff. I'm reading charismatic stuff, but I'm also reading Puritan writing. I'm reading reformed writing. Mm. I'm reading stuff from all kinds of streams. I'm reading Jim Wallace. I'm reading stuff that's more liberal. That's, you know, cause it's social activist type stuff mm-hmm. called the conversion by Jim Wallace rocked me in college. And that's coming through my peers, like friends who are like, right. hey, you read this guy, this guy's crazy. We need to, the Bible's serious about justice and about caring for the poor. So I've got like stuff I'm reading, like Henry Nowen or, you know, um, or Teresa of Avila, right? And then on the other hand, I'm reading Jim Wallace and I'm worrying about God's heart for the poor. I'm reading John Perkins. Mm. Um, and then I'm reading stuff by like Charles Finney. I'm reading John Owen, mm-hmm. Mortification of Sin. Mm. And and because this is all happening around my college life, college, you're reading biology, history, you're reading multiple disciplines at once. So I was, I was reading all these books at the same time. Right. Right. And it all just started to kind of integrate itself. Hmm. So barbarian. Yeah. I no like, one was I, telling me <laughs> you shouldn't be reading that Catholic stuff. You know, that stuff, they, yeah. they worship the saints. You can't pray. Or, oh, those charismatics, you know, they're going to get you off into some weird spirituality and you're going to be hanging from chandeliers. Don't read that. No one was telling me that. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just, I learned to chew the meat, spit the bones, mm-hmm. which is uh, really cool to hear. So it sounds like a lot of your own spiritual journey was either self-directed or it was the pursuit of, like we were talking earlier, desire or a longing that you experienced. Or community. Community. Okay. But not like an individual mentor per se until, until probably I was out of college. One thing that you mentioned this morning that I, I made a mental note of, you know, your, your own story of ministry and InterVarsity is pretty unique because you said your first year in InterVarsity was the kind of the uh, first year of the millennial generation, right? Yeah, that's right. And then um, your last year with it saw the last graduating class of millennials. That's right. And so you've kind of, um, by the luck of the draw or by divine providence, you know, um, you've spent a lot of time working with and serving that, well, it's really my generation, you know, and I love hearing you say that you've noticed, um, well, it's been a continued trend, but less of a concern uh, about denominational tribalism, you know, and more of a hunger and openness to learn from kind of the breadth and depth of Christian tradition. Yeah. Um, but there's an adventurous spirit about millennials. I just love, you know, they, a caricature of the millennial is I don't want to buy a house. I want to travel the world, buy a, a camper and drive around. You know, I want to go out and explore the world. Yeah. And I see that in the way I see that in the spirituality too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an excitement and adventure in 
crossing those kinds of Christian into different Christian streams. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I think you also have to be, like I said, I chew the meat, spit the bones. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think there, you need discernment. Mm-hmm. I think there's discernment. And I think though that to read a book on spirituality by any Christian author and find stuff you don't agree with and say, well, I got to throw this out. I just think there's something wrong with that because what are we expecting it to be? The Bible? <laughs> Great you point. Know, there's only one book that, I, I'm going to take everything it says. Mm-hmm. That's that's the word of God. Everything else is written by a human being that's flawed. Mm. And I may resonate with a lot of it, but I'm more uncomfortable when I'm reading a book and I agree with everything. I'm like, gosh, I'm just buying this whole thing hook, line, and sinker. Right. And it makes me feel like my critical faculties are dulled. Like, how am I just, I need to go back through that again because mm-hmm. I need to maybe just rethink some of this stuff because no one's got it all just right. Yeah. So you mentioned that you've got a love of your life, you know, and you mentioned yeah. that you're a father. So how long have you been married to Stacy? 18, coming up on 18 years. 18. January will be 18 years. Mm-hmm. Best 18 years of my life. How would you describe Stacy to me? Oh, she is an ENTJ. <laughs> she is a, she's a field marshal. And I love that about her. She's such a strong person, a mm. strong personality, strong opinions. And she's got such an incredible inner strength about her that when I first met her, as just when we were in college, I was so attracted to that about her. I just love that about her. Such an independent person, but yet so loving, warm, friendly, relational as well. Mm. Um, Stacy is... She can match my level of intensity, you know, wattage wattage for wattage. (laughs) We were both very intense people and we both, it could have blown up and gone bad, Mm -hmm. you know, just like short the fuses, you know, just blow the circuits. But instead it's means that we understand each other's intensity and we're, we're both attracted to each other's intensity. Um, she and I also have are, really connected on a spiritual level. And when we were in our, during our friendship stage of our life, which was four years, we, we just loved talking about God together. It was just natural for us. It was so easy to talk about our faith together and it didn't feel strained or forced or like it was an effort we were trying to do. Oh, we should talk about God. It was just, it is, we just drew it out of each other. Yeah. She draws out the best of the, the best of me. And I hope that I do that for her. Hmm. She, um, she was an ethnic studies major and she's really passionate about people and what's going on with people and how our culture embraces one another and how we interact with one another across socioeconomic, cultural, ethnic lines. Mm. She's always paying attention to that. You know, she's had to devote so much of her time to being a mother, but um, in so many ways, she's like in little ways, like we, you know, I coach my kid's soccer team and she's like, I want us to do the Los Angelitos program with the soccer team, which means they're going to intentionally give us native Spanish speaking families. So these kids that are on our team that we're coaching are going to have parents that in many cases speak only Spanish. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I want to be able to help these families feel connected to our culture and to our community. And so she was the one always reaching out to them and loved it. She'd be the one at the games talking in Spanish to all the, the families, mm. introducing them to the white families, you know, to mm-hmm. the non-Hispanic families. Helping them feel connected, you know, and um, 
going the extra mile to help them because oftentimes these families had to work extra hard to pay to live here. And both parents would have two jobs or something. Mm -hmm. And so she was like, let's give this kid a ride. Let's give that kid a ride and let's help them out with this and that. And that's just a wonderful thing about her. I love that about her. Mm. She has a huge heart for justice. And that's always been an inspiration for me. She keeps me, keeps me honest in that area of my life. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that. How many kids do you guys have? We have three. And, um, you know, the other thing I should say is that she's also an absolute diehard soccer fan. Oh, really? Like even more than me. Like, <laughs> I think, she, I think when she meets guys that are into sports and stuff, they just think, oh, okay, yeah, whatever. You know, you're a lady. And she just blows her mind. She's like, <laughs> well, she'll just debate them down to, a, she knows, she remembers everything she reads and she know, has a lot of information in her head about the U.S. national soccer team and tracks it, follows it, knows everybody, knows everything. And, and uh, she's passed that on to her kids. So all our kids are soccer soccer f- fans as well. So you guys have a family team? We do. Who? I've coached all my kids. Okay. And so my oldest son, Diego's 14. He's a freshman in high school at La Costa. And then my son, Ramon, is at Degenio. He's in seventh grade. And my, my daughter, Celia, is in fifth grade going, yeah, in fifth grade at um, Capri. And they all have Hispanic names because... Being biracial, I just wanted something about them to communicate to people. There's more than maybe meets the eye. Because yeah. maybe initially looking at them, it's not as obvious that they're biracial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for me, growing up, no one knew that I was half Latino at all. Yeah. And I would have friends that would know me for years and be blown away that Spanish was technically my first language in the home. Mm-hmm. And I thought it'd be so cool for people just to, for that to be on the front, on the surface. For my kids, even mm-hmm. though, you know, two of the three of them have blonde hair and blue eyes. <laughs> <laughs> that something says, hey, there's something more than meets the eye here. Yeah, yeah. Man, I love that. So you're, um, when it comes to your, your heritage, so I think I heard you say that your dad has a German background? That's right. Yeah, and your mom is? Got a, a- yeah, she was raised in Calexico, which is okay. like, you know, like a little, little Mexico. It's, you mm-hmm. know, out in the desert. You take the eight east and go out to the middle of nowhere and you're in Calexico. So she and my dad met at San Diego State. So you're coming on to staff here at North Coast. And I don't know if there's really an official title for you. Next gen pastor. Next. Like what? Talk to me just briefly. You know, um, when people hear, oh, Ryan's coming on staff at at North Coast. uh, What are you coming on staff to do in your opinion? Well, I guess I'll just lay out the superficial stuff and then maybe we can go deeper. I mean, superficially, I'm just coming here to oversee and work, come alongside the ministries that are serving the 30, 40 demographic, mm-hmm. the, the young adults, so the 20 somethings mm-hmm. and the college. Some of those ministries have pastors and people have stronger levels of leadership. Other ones are, um, and, and the foundry does as well. And some of them are more like lay leadership, um, people who are just kind of volunteering time. Mm-hmm. So I'm coming alongside that and helping develop leadership there, strengthen those ministries so that they can flourish and strengthen the leadership that's already there and develop new leadership to, to serve the needs of those ministries. Um, I'll be working with the Sunday night service and I think overall helping our church reach and welcome mm. the these generations. Mm-hmm. To welcome and make space for leadership and gifts to flourish in the church. And 
to use the Sunday night service as like a hub where these different groups were coming together. And, um, but in no way do we want that to be compartmentalized from other generations that are not, that I haven't explicitly mentioned. Yeah. In fact, yeah. I'm a total integrationist. And that's, it comes from inner varsity experience, I guess, you know, I want to see things come together, mm. disparate parts, things that are normally separate come together. And I'm, I, I really believe, I mean, I don't just conceptually, but I've seen it. And I really believe that the church is at its best when each generation is, is working together in synergy. Yeah. Yeah. So when the older generation, the younger generation are coming together, there's a dynamism there. So I don't know how, but I want to help facilitate that. And I'm also going to be coming alongside the Mark and the teaching team and just upping my presence on the teaching team and mm-hmm. preaching more, which I love. And preaching is probably the thing that first made me realize I was called to full-time ministry. Mm-hmm. Of all the things that I get to do in ministry, I love it all. I love hanging with people. I, I love all aspects of it, but I love preaching the most. It's just I couldn't, it's just like something withers in me when I don't get to preach. Mm. Like right now, writing the book, I've had to emphasize writing and I don't get to preach a lot right now. Right. And I just, uh, I feel like something's dying inside of me. (laughs) I just cannot, I just, it's hard. Mm. And it's like preach or die is certainly how my soul feels about it. (laughs) Preach or die. I preach, man, or something (laughs) in me does feel like it's dying. Uh. So I'll be doing, you know, helping out with the preaching team. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, but, I mean, I feel like I, I don't know. I don't, to be honest, I don't really know. I don't have a big agenda or plan. I'm just really excited to come in and get to know our church and really get to know the church at a deeper level. Mm-hmm. And just discern and sense how, what God begins to bubble up in me because I'm an intuitive person and God's going to bubble up within me the things that he wants to release, that he's, he's going to, Show me why he's brought me here and what I have to contribute once mm-hmm. I get to know people and once I get to f- feel the texture and contours of those relationships. I think it's going to bring out more specific sense of what God wants me to be doing here mm. and what my contribution will look like. But I'm really passionate about helping people connect with the Holy Spirit mm. not be afraid of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm really passionate about getting people on fire for the word of God. I mean, I just love the scripture when I read it. It makes me feel like warm and fuzzy inside. I mean, it still does. I have a love <laughs> affair with the Bible. And um, I, I'm excited about um, helping people just fall more in love with Jesus than they've ever been in their life. And I don't know how we all get there, but I just feel like we should be more in love with Jesus with, as we grow older in life, we should not be looking back on our best years are behind us. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I can't stand that. I think that's not true about marriage and it shouldn't be true about God. Yeah. But sure. Our spirituality has to grow and mature to, as God goes deeper into our life. Mm. And I think there's probably thresholds we have to be willing to cross spiritually so that God can go deeper into our life. Mm-hmm. Otherwise I think we, we settle. We let God into a certain, into a certain depth of place of heart in our life and we get comfortable with him there and it starts to get kind of boring yeah, and yeah. shallow mm-hmm. and God wants to call us out into deeper waters with him and that, that can feel scary, but, um, I like going to those deeper places and I love it when I feel like when I feel that scary feeling inside of me, 
Mm. I felt that when I became a Christian. I felt that when I stood up at Greg Laurie's invitation. I felt that I felt that when I preached my first sermon. I felt that when I joined Inner Varsity. I felt that when I, I started praying and inviting Jesus into my depression. Mm. I felt it big time then. Mm-hmm. I felt it when I opened up to Jesus the anxieties I felt about getting married to the love of my life. Mm. I've felt it, that fear that, oh my gosh, can I do this? I don't know if I can go here with you, God, right. as a father. I felt it this last year discerning this call and leaving a place that's been home for me spiritually for 21 years to be here. Mm. And I, I I love that feeling. It makes me feel like I'm still alive and walking with Jesus on water. Mm. It's a great feeling. And I just hope to be able to be a guide and shepherd for people on those waters. Well, I think that's uh, a great place to to end. And I know me personally and for a lot of people who, you know, here on staff and even just the buzz that I heard around campus this, this morning, this weekend is kind of, more officially are announcing that you're coming on, on staff here is there's, there's excitement, you know, and there's excitement over your willingness to, Hey, to lean back into that, um, that fear and that excitement of, of trusting God with, with what's next. And, um, yeah, as somebody who gets to work with some of the demographic that, you know, you're going to be serving and, and leading us in, um, I know I'm really excited and everyone's really excited that you're going to be coming on, on staff here. So, we look forward to no pressure, you know, no, no pressure or anything. Well, I don't feel any pressure right now. I'm just feeling the love. Good. Well, um, I'm glad that you're feeling the love. It's, there's a lot of it for you here at North Coast Absolutely. and we're really excited. Thanks so much for joining me for that conversation with Ryan Pfeiffer. Even though Ryan and Stacy have long been a part of our church and you've heard Ryan preach as part of our teaching team for 10 years, I know that you'll give them a warm welcome as they dive into serving our church. Just a quick reminder that our weekend services are Saturday at 5 p.m., Sunday at 8.45, 10.45, and 6 p.m., and that if you're looking for more information regarding how to get plugged in, serve, give, or just curious about what we are all about here at North Coast Calvary Chapel, you can check out our website at northcoastcalvary.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thanks for listening and have a great day.